me invite you to name a change that you've experienced in the past 12 months. Some kind of change that has taken place in your life. You know that when we ask that question, for some of us, we immediately go to something that causes us great joy. There's some kind of change that took place that uh, whether it's in our family, ourselves, or around us, and we just have a, a sense of joy around that change. For others of us, when we think on whatever that change might have been, we have deep sorrow. We experience that change as incredible loss. When I was considering the very thing myself this past week, the first thing that came to my mind, now I've had joyful changes and I've had uh, sorrowful changes over the past year, uh, but the first thing that came to my life, uh, to my mind, was uh, of the trivial kind. <laughs> so, the pa- in the past 12 months, uh, I stopped having peanut butter on toast for breakfast, and I've switched to a quarter cup of a keto uh, kind of a cereal mixed with a quarter cup of bran with some dried fruit, and on some days, maybe some blueberries and banana, and I put um, oat milk on top of it. That's right. I'm high maintenance. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, and who knows what it might be in the future, but that was a change that I knew that came to my mind. As humans, we're used to change. Change happens. Things change. We can look over the course of human history, and we know that the human experience is to experience change, whether it's on the micro level, maybe within ourselves. It may be micro compared to global things, but we know for us it can be significant. There can be societal change where it's not just one individual, but a whole community of individuals gathered together, a community going through change. It can be global. You figure some of the bigger changes. When humankind learned to control fire and transport it from one place to another and to have it at their disposal, you think about when Humans went from being hunter-gatherers to being settled farmers. Or, gosh, even think about when the printing press was invented or, or when we entered uh, into the digital age and just all the changes that happened because of that. Well, the Bible's um, story, so there's this overarching story in the Bible, just one story of God working out His love for the people He created, that there comes in the middle of that story this huge change, massive change. We're going to take a little bit of a look at part of how that played out today. It's part of um, our Yes, We're Open series. In fact, this is the last Sunday of that series. Uh, We're finishing up this sermon series. We've been asking, we've been saying, yes, we're open to hearing the Spirit speak. We've been looking at stories from the book of Acts, the, the early church, and We're saying, God, as you spoke back then, as you revealed your will for the church at that time, would you let us know what your desire is for our congregation? Is there a word that you have for us? Is there an encouragement or a conviction or whatever it might be? We're open to hearing your spirit speak in our midst. Um, This morning, we're going to be looking at the portion of the book of Acts that we'll find in Acts 15, verses 1 through 21. And I encourage you, go ahead and open up your Bibles. Uh, We provide some in the rows for you. We'll put it on the screen as well. 
Um, but let's, uh, let's gather around God's Word as we find it in Acts 15, verses 1 through 21. Hear the Word of God. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers and sisters, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, uh, the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, sisters, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of uh, humankind, mankind, may see the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has, ha has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he, is he for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless us as we come under it today. Here's what we're going to do. If it helps you to know what we're going to do ahead of time, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at the people, the problem, the process, and the point. The people, the problem, the process, and the point. Let's get at it. The people. So from time to time, I am invited to introduce somebody. Uh, some kind of event's going on, and I, they've asked me to introduce somebody else, a speaker or whoever's going to be coming forward, and, and I get to introduce that person to the rest of the group. I got to tell you, I get anxious in these moments. 
I, I, I'm not comfortable with it. I, I wondered, do I have the right amount of information? Is this accurate? Am I schmoozing it or am I not schmoozing it enough? How's the person going to feel about it? Does this really introduce the person to the group? And so even here, as I introduce the characters of our story, I know that there's no way in the amount of time that we have that I can give a full description of who these people are. And so with your patience, let's introduce them this way. First, we meet the Jewish Christians. At the beginning, most Christians were Jewish Christians. They were the ones that first said yes to Jesus, that had received the good news of of the Messiah, that God had sent the anointed one into this world, and, and that the Christ, the Messiah, was actually the Son of God and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised from the dead and now ascended to be with the Father in heaven. Those who first believed that were Jewish. Some of the Jewish Christians happened to be from the group of the Pharisees, which as other commentators have uh, uh, stated in the past, this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus spent a lot of his time interacting with Pharisees. And Pharisees were committed to knowing the Word of God, and they would have had an anticipation of the Messiah coming. So we shouldn't be surprised that a subgroup of the Jewish Christians would have been from the Pharisees. Of course, then there are the Gentile Christians. These are people who came to know who Jesus uh, is and gave their life to Christ. They, they entered into this relationship. They welcomed the forgiveness of sins that God gave them the Holy Spirit. They just didn't happen to be Jewish when the whole thing started. They weren't circumcised. They weren't uh, from the tribes of Israel. And yet they were Christian. They were followers of Christ. Then there's Peter, and we talk a lot about Peter in this room, that he's one of the disciples, one of the apostles, known for his uh, courageous yeses to Jesus, his, his uh, big, bold answers, and then his big, bold mistakes. Good old Peter. We talked about him last week, um, spent time talking about how God relayed to him this giving of the gospel to the Gentiles. Then there's Paul and Barnabas. Paul, who was Saul, a, a, um, a Pharisee, a, a, a Jewish person who had been killing Christians all in the name of serving the living God. And then God got a hold of him on the Damascus road, and Jesus showed up and revealed himself to Saul, and, and Saul's heart was turned. God quickened his heart, and he received the good news of Jesus and became a follower of Christ himself. And Barnabas, Paul's co-conspirator in the gospel, these two who had already gone on this missionary journey together. Then there's James. James is the brother of Jesus, and he came to faith at some point, and he became one of the, the leading voices in Jerusalem, one of the leading voices in the early church. And then, of course, even though he's not a people, he's a person, he's actually three persons in one. So anyways, it's God. God is a chief character in our story. So let's go on. If that's the people, let's get to the problem. The problem. You know, it seems like if you get enough uh, religious people together, problems will break out. If you get enough religious people together, problems will break out. And it could be that it's because religious people are prone to hypocrisy, or they like power issues, or it could be all those kind of things. Or, and, it could be because they happen to be passionate people, caring, 
caring about the well-being of one another, not kept to themselves, but interested in the collective witness of the group. Well, we find that in the gathering of these religious people, these Christians, there was a problem. It turns out the problem is God's fault. God's to blame. We're told in the Gospel of John, uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not die, um, but would have eternal life. If only God hadn't loved the world. (laughs) There wouldn't have been the problem, but God loved the world, and so He sent His Son, the second person of the Trinity, to come into this world, that through Christ we would have salvation. In fact, when Jesus was in this world, here's some of the stuff he said. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. You know, if only he had put a period right there. If only he had said, I didn't come to abolish the law, all of the Pharisees would have gone, yes, you're our guy. We like what you do. But Jesus went on to say, he goes, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That all that God had said before, all that God had laid out would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He goes on to say it another time. He goes, listen, I am, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Stuff like that got him in trouble. There was conflict that came out of it. In fact, every time he said, I forgive you your sins. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the religious people had real problems with that. What we find out is that when God acted this way, it changed everything. It changed everything for the people of God, for the world. All right, so let's put a, let's put a pause, let's hit the pause button here for, for a moment. There's a book that I just started uh, to go through this past week, and it's, it's all about um, uh, change, and it's a book called Managing Transitions by William Bridges, and he, he introduces his whole uh, thesis at the beginning of the book, and I think it's helpful for us to think through what's going on in our passage today. So, one aspect is the change itself, and we just looked at how God changed things, that He sent Christ into this world to fulfill the law, and that now there's this way to come to faith in Him that that uh, person doesn't have to go through the law. They go through Jesus Christ. So that's the change. But along with change comes transition. This is what Bridges points out, that listen, think not just change as being this one monolithic thing, but change happens, and then people have to experience transition Uh, as they live into that change. And he divides change into three different pieces to it, not just in order. You don't go from one to the next to the next, but that there's these three elements that can be active at all points. He says, listen, change, uh, the transition begins with an ending. Transition begins with an ending, and it ends with a new beginning. And in the in-between, he calls this the neutral space. I, I don't like the name. I haven't gone through the whole book yet, so maybe I'll like the name by the end. I can update you if you want. You can ask me later. But he calls it the neutral. Actually, the neutral area is full of chaos, and it's the, uh, the in-between, and things are unsettled, and uh, it, it, it's just it, that tension point where you're trying to work things out. And so 
when change comes along and you have to transition, you experience an end to the things you were used to. You're in this time of limbo in between with chaos happening, and then you finally get to this place where the new beginnings are taking place. And all that can be happening even at the same time. All right, so for the Jewish Christians, they were having to experience transition. And it seems that they got hung up with the ending part. They had put so much weight on the Mosaic Covenant, and, and, and they saw that as the vehicle through which people could get to know who God is, that God had come toward people in Moses and had laid out, listen, here's the Ten Commandments, here's all the description of the covenant. If you want to be a follower of mine, keep the covenant. And the Pharisees knew it. The Pharisees knew the law. And now that Jesus had come to fulfill it and that he was the way, that he, he was the one sacrifice, and we didn't need the, the whole of the Mosaic law because Jesus completed that, that now what were they to do? They struggled with the giving up of what they were used to. And so they came out and they said, um, you know what, it is necessary. It's necessary. In fact, when we look at the words, they're, they're pretty heavy words. Necessary to circumcise them those Gentiles, they must become Jewish and order them to keep the law of Moses to be saved. In order to be a good Christian, you've got to come through the Jewish door. This is the big question. Do Gentile Christians need to become Jewish in order to be true Christians? If we pull back a little bit from that, the question is, is it Jesus plus something? And maybe you've read that book. Maybe you've read that book that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's that new math that God was doing through the Gospels. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The, the Pharisee group of the Jewish Christians, they were going, listen, it's Jesus. Yes, we believe he's the Messiah. We're believers, but it's Jesus plus the Mosaic law. That's where they had ended up. And with this problem, all because God loved us and sent his son. With this problem, everything is at stake. Is it true? Is it Jesus plus something? Or is it just Jesus? Everything, hand, uh, everything is held in balance. All right, so if that's the problem, what's the process? What's the process? What process has God gone through? That's kind of the macro. And then what process do we find in our text that the people of God go through in order to find their way forward? So first to the macro, the process. Listen, God told the people ahead of time. He said for centuries, he had laid it out in Scripture, and I get it, if we were back there during that time, we probably would have missed it too. <laughs> they had the Scriptures before them, and they had the prophets, and, and the prophets had been saying, listen, a Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be the suffering servant Messiah, and people missed it. God had been telling them. I'm going to come, that, you know, the, the Messiah is going to be the suffering servant. He's going to take on the iniquity of all people, and he's going to die for it. It's in there. We can find it. We can go back, and we can see it now, but the people at the time really struggled. They couldn't see it. So God told them what he was going to do, and then it turns out God did what he told them. He actually followed through. And when he sent Jesus into this world, Jesus tells us that he was only doing what the Father had told him to do. And then, bam, 
everything changed. Jesus dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for everything that would keep us apart from God. And it's ollie, ollie, oxen free. Everybody, come, forgiveness. And then whoosh, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all followers of Christ. And it's now the age of the new covenant. That's God's process. He tells them ahead of time, I'm going to do this. He follows through and he does it. And then the things come at us, the, the forgiveness of God, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the church begins. So what about the transition? If that's the change, if, if God established the change, what about the transition for us? What about the, the ending of the old things, the, the limbo of being in between, the, the beginning of the new things? Well, that's the story of the book of Acts. It spells out to us, it describes the picture of the transition. We know that we've gone through some of these stories even over the past five weeks, that, that we know the story of the conversion of Paul, of Saul going to Paul. That's part of the transition that, that God is bringing. He's going, listen, I, I'm going to establish one to be apostles, the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to set that up for success. He gives this interaction between Peter and Cornelius, which we talked about last week. Do you remember all the ways that God was working, the process he used in order to convey this new reality? He gives Cornelius um, a vision, and Peter goes into a trance, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter, and then, then God arranges, providentially arranges all the timing and the movement of everything. And then God speaks to the proclamation that Peter has of the good news to Cornelius and his family. And that God communicates the Holy Spirit to them, gives them the Holy Spirit. And then there's baptism, and God's there in the midst of baptism. God is working this story out. This is the ending of the old. That's what happened with Jesus' death on the cross. And then this transition, I'm gonna, he says, I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm going to tell you what it looks like. It was happening in many places, too. That's the report that, um, that Paul and Barnabas were bringing. It's happening all over the place. God is working this out. And yet some people had some problems, so they go to Jerusalem. They go, they go to where the founding vision is. They go to where the leaders are, and they gather together, and they say, let's work this out. And so the Jerusalem council. And when we look in on it, when we have our vantage point, we get to look in, how are they going to handle change? How are they going to handle the transition that needs to happen because God changed the way things work? Well, it turns out that what they use is testimony and listening. Testimony, a combination of people testifying and people listening to the testimony. And so there's Peter. And Peter has this wonderful thing. He, so he goes on. This is, this is his testimony. It begins in verse 7. It goes like this. Uh, Brothers, sisters, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's the story we just talked about. God coming to Peter with the Cornelius event. And he's saying, listen, in the early days of the church, this is some years after that, that, that you remember that. You remember what God did. And he goes on in verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit. In other words, God saw. God knows hearts. He's the one who gives witness. It's his testimony 
that something real happened in those Gentiles because he gives them the Holy Spirit. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. That's the key turning point. God achieved it for them. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing the yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Our tendency to want, want to hold on to the old and, and then use that as a way of, well, you've got to be like us in order to be right. And then finally, in verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. This is Peter, the Jewish Christian, going, we, we Jewish Christians will be saved. By the, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. That's the testimony of Peter. And then, of course, Luke mentions, Luke the writer mentions that, that uh, everyone fell silent as Barnabas and Paul spoke up, but since he just wrote about that, he doesn't give any, Luke doesn't give any more details here. And then after all the testimony, James, the brother of Jesus, the lead voice here, he comes forward and he speaks. And we find in verse 13 that he says this, brothers, sisters, listen to me. Simeon, Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take, them, to take from them a people for his name. Now, if we knew our Old Testament, like if we really, if we had this sense of it and the language was familiar to us and, and, and we knew the Hebrew, we would hear, we would read this phrase, um, where he says, a people for his name. And that's the way God referred to the Israelites in the Old Testament. A people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, and so he quotes from Amos. And by the way, there's a bunch of stuff going on in this little uh, quotation that he has here, and we don't have time for that here. It'd be a great Bible study to explore all that. But he essentially says, listen, God has communicated this through his prophets. And then in verse 19 goes, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has, um, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. James speaking in to their midst. Did you see what happened? Did you see what happened? So that there's testimony and listening and, and then James speaking and, and we could put all this under the term communal discernment. God had already used uh, visions and trances and speaking through the Holy Spirit and now in this, in the church, it is the leaders of the church coming together to listen to one another. Their key question, what is God up to? What is God up to? That is the question. What is God up to? And whenever we ask that question, there's always kind of a past to it because the God who acts today is the God who acted in the past. There's a future to it because the God who acted yesterday and is going to act today is the God who will act in the future. And there's always this past, present, and future. And they're looking to discern what is God up to? You know, you contrast it to some of the questions we might, that I might tend to ask when we, when we meet little different challenges in a church environment. We might ask, uh, what am I used to? Um, what am I comfortable with? Why would anybody want to sing a song like that? 
what would I like? What would I prefer? Sometimes we ask the question, what would cause the least trouble? Other times we ask the question, you know, what would bring in the most people? And they were simply asking, what is God up to? And let's join him in that. All right, so if that's the people, the problem, and the process, what's the point of it all? Well, here's what we know. Change is happening and will continue to happen. You know, I, I, I made the commitment. I went from peanut butter and toast, and I went to this new cereal, this fancy-schmancy cereal mix. And, well, one day I may change again. Who knows? And we know that all of us will go from these little micro-changes and be, grow and do different things in our lives and struggle with things. We also know that there will be global changes. But as people who follow God, the people of God are at our best when we continually turn to God. That's the point. That the people of God are always at the best when they continually turn to God. And here's how we do this. Here's what discernment looks like. We look for God's work taking place. We do that together. We look for God's work taking place. Where are conversions happening? Where's the need for justice? Where is God breaking his justice out in this world? Where's the opportunity for the proclamation of the gospel? Where do we see the fruit of the Spirit being developed? We look. We then listen. We listen to testimonies. Tell me the story. What is God doing in your life? What's taking place? Would you tell me, I want to be able to listen to your story, to your perception of what God is up to, past, present, future. And then we welcome wisdom. We look, we listen, and we welcome wisdom. Speak wisdom that God provides. You know, in this, going through this series, we've also been talking throughout this year about this whole question of what's next, God? What do you have for us next? Is there a word? Is there encouragement? Is there a conviction that you have for us? What's next for us, God? Wouldn't it be great if as we continue that dialogue that we have a shared commitment that all of us together would reflect God's goodness more than our anxiety, that we would reflect God's goodness more than all of our preferences. You know, today we do finish up this series. And next Sunday we begin Advent. It's already here. But even as we finish up the series, we want to continue to ask that question. Those of you that have been going through the devotional we provided, that has hopefully set aside some time for reflection and spending time with God and listening, we want to capture that. And if there's been something that God has been revealing to you or that you've been feeling convicted about, maybe there's some passages that God has just really brought to your attention. We want to hear that. The elders are working on a set of questions to be able to send out to you and to give you a vehicle through which all of us can share and be a, a continued part of the discerning process in our congregation. Yes, we're open. And though this sermon series comes to an end, our openness to hearing the Spirit speak does not close. For we're always open 
to the testimony of God working in our midst. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who indeed reveals yourself and your plan, and you're always at work. God, we admit that sometimes we come into this room and we simply want something that gets us through the next week. I know that feeling. And yet, God, we are called together to be your people, to be a part of your plan in this world, to represent Jesus not just to ourselves, but to the world that is in desperate need of salvation. God, would you continue to work in our midst? Lord, give us to the process of discerning that if there's anything that you would have us put an end to, that we would know. That if indeed we have to work through some transition and some sense of being in between things for a while, then that we would have the stick to activity, the perseverance, the, the laser focus on Christ that would guide us through that time. And that, God, you would prepare us to welcome whatever new beginnings you would have for us as we continue to live out the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ alone in this world. Thank you that we have you at every turn as our Lord, the God of the universe, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so to you be all the glory. In Christ's name, amen.